The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. And now, with Patricia Raskin Positive Living, here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Patricia Raskin Positive Living. You know, today we're going to talk about depression and what it does and how you can care for yourself when someone you love is depressed. Depression's been called the common cold of mental illness because so many Americans suffer from it every year. In 2006, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention found that one in 20 Americans over the age of 12 has suffered from depression, and most of these people have spouses and families and jobs, multiplying the effects of depression until almost no family in the country is untouched by this common but potentially deadly illness. But there is help. For people affected by depression, and whether it's uh, their own or that of a family member. My guests today have written the book, Dancing in the Dark, How to Take Care of Yourself When Someone You Love is Depressed, and it really talks about suggestions and helpful hints and resources to help you and anyone you know who's affected by depression of someone else. Our guests today, our co-authors, are Bernadette Stankard, and her husband, Ed, had been married for 40 years, half of which was spent dealing with Ed's depression. Through his perseverance and their commitment as a couple, they've grown into good health together, realizing the gift of life they share, which could have been lost. And Bernadette's the author of several books. And Amy Veets, which is who is the co-author, both on the line today, also knows firsthand what it means to live with depression. She and her husband, Bruce, struggled through 12 years of marital, emotional, and financial strain, as they search for an effective combination of therapy and medication. And now with Bruce's return to health and the rebuilding of the relationship, she's able to help others survive the darkness of depression and their and their spouses as well. So welcome, Bernadette, and welcome, Amy. Hi, Patricia. It's good to be here talking with you. Thank you yeah. for having us. And you're welcome. It's a, it's a tough subject. Why is it called the common cold of mental illness? Certainly depression is uh, um, nearly as common as, as the common cold. Um, it's certainly the most, probably the most common mental illness out there. Um, and, and so many, many, many people experience it. One problematic issue with calling it the common cold, however, is that um, you don't get over Ill, uh, an illness like depression nearly as easily, easily as you do with a cold. Um, so we have to be careful about that um, because uh, it's important that people know that, that it's not always easy to overcome depression. Right. What led you to write this book, both of you? Amy? 
Uh, Bernadette and I um, discovered through um, just spending time together that we each had a husband who was long-term depressed and really having a hard time dealing with that. We realized that there are many resources out there to help a depressed person get over the illness, but there was basically nothing out there available to help those of us who have to deal with that person. Um, When someone you love is depressed, it can be a very, very difficult situation in every aspect of your life. And so we just decided it was time to do something for all of those people who were suffering. How do you know if they're depressed or if they're just down? What are some of the signs and symptoms? Well, there are obviously many different signs and symptoms, and those differ according to the person's personality. You can't just say, look for these signs and symptoms, and this person is depressed. Um, One of the biggest signs that people look for is whether or not someone sleeps all the time. But it could be also the flip side, where the person is always very agitated and has difficulty sleeping. There could be the people who uh, don't have any appetite when they become depressed, or they cry all the time. But then on the flip side, you have somebody like my husband who had such a strong work ethic that he went off to work every day and came home and he slept. But he was very, very depressed. Mm -hmm. So uh, these symptoms, although you can go and you can see a whole list of different symptoms for depression, they differ from person to person. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, you're talking about somebody who sleeps a lot, changes in appetite, uh, very emotional, either crying all the time or just flying off the handle. So you just have to be aware of all these things. What about about just closed down, very quiet, very numb, very just kind of shut down? That can certainly be another aspect of depression. Um, it, one, one way that people describe depression is a complete turning inward on oneself, and so that does often mean it seems as if that person has shut down, doesn't communicate, um, does seem numb, doesn't seem to experience emotions the mm-hmm. way they used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is your book, um, Bernadette and Amy, how is your book, Dancing in the Dark, unique from other books? Well, one of the biggest things is that most of the other books tell the person who lives with someone with depression how to help the depressed person, but they very rarely talk about what changes happen in that relationship, Mm. how do you help yourself when you're dealing with somebody who's depressed, and this book deals specifically with addressing the person who has to live with depression day in and day out. Like a caregiver. Right, the caregiver in any situation. Hmm. What's the one most important thing that a caregiver can do in face of their loved one's depression? Uh, The overarching theme of the book is that we have to take care of ourselves. And there are many different ways to take care of ourselves, and we outline a great many of them in this book, things like... um, physical care, that we have to exercise and sleep well and and eat right and all of those good things, Um, to spiritual care, um, being in contact with a higher power from which you can draw strength. In fact, we have an acronym that we use um, that helps people remember some of the aspects of self-care, and that's PACT, P-A-C-T. P is for prayer. A is for affirmation, finding people who can tell you that you're worthy during this time. C is for community that we are very much in need of during a time of depression. And T is for truth, telling the truth about what's going on in our situation. All of those are are aspects of how to take care of yourself. That's very good. How does depression affect the people around the depressed person? 
Amy? Well, one of the biggest things is that if you're in a depressed atmosphere a great deal of time, you can begin to mimic what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. You can begin to feel that downness. You can begin to, to just want to escape it yourself. And that's one of the biggest things that we emphasize is that you have to take time away from that situation if you want to avoid opening yourself up to depression taking you over. You have to always be aware of the fact that you need to take care of yourself first and foremost so that you can help your partner or your child or your parent become healthy again if they're suffering from depression. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, you've cared, both have cared for husbands with depression. How did you two find each other? Uh, Bernadette and I were both members of a writing group, and we had uh, spent quite a bit of time together writing and critiquing each other's work, and then um, just got to know each other more and more and discovered that we were both suffering from the same challenges because of Mm -hmm. depression in our husbands. Did writing help you both? Yes, because, um, well, I shouldn't say yes for both of us, but (laughs) certainly for me, because uh, one of the big things that happens with depression is that you tend not to say anything about it. Mm -hmm. You tend to kind of hide the fact that there is depression in your household. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned from being with Amy is the very important thing of putting it out there, telling the truth about the illness, that it doesn't have any outward manifestation. And a lot of times uh, it doesn't seem to anybody that anything's wrong. Like what I would get from my, uh, about my husband was, you've got to be kidding that Ed's depressed. He's so funny. He's, he does all this. And it was a whole different story at home. So I learned that it's very important to tell the truth, to get it out there to people that are going to help and support you. Yeah, yeah, very. But finding the right people, wouldn't you say? You have to find the right people. That, that's really important, and that's something we, um, that we touch on in the book, that you really have to have boundaries, and you have to think ahead of time. There are certain people with whom I will share this much information, and there are other people who I feel like I can share everything, um, because you do have to be careful. Obviously, the stranger in the street does not need to hear your life story about how hard it is to live with depression, but there are people you can trust, and you need to think about, who can I trust with this information, and who can be the most help to me? Mm-hmm. And you, you have to remember, too, that depression is an illness, and you have to tell yourself that, and you have to begin to realize that that is a truth in itself, because otherwise you're going to feel that this is something that I did, or my husband did, or my mother yeah. did, or what have you. It is an illness. It's nobody's fault. It just happens. Do you feel that um, bipolar uh, fits into this category? I think to some extent, uh, neither of us have much experience with that particular illness, but I think, I think all mental illnesses share in common that we, we tend as a society to feel ashamed of them and want to hide them. And so our, our advice would be the same for those who are close to someone with a bipolar disorder, is that it's okay to tell the truth about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you both helped your spouses return to health after many years of battling with depression. Are there times, however, when caregivers must step away from a situation to save themselves? 
We, we certainly advocate that uh, there are times when you just can't make that difference. Um, and that, that's certainly different for every individual. No one can tell you when you've done enough and when you need to move on or when you decide that you're going to go ahead and stay. It's a very individual decision. Um, but there certainly could be times where the safest thing, the healthiest thing for everyone would be um, to move on. And it's good to remember that there's no shame in doing that because sometimes it's better to get the divorce. It's sometimes better to be estranged than to have you yourself fall victim to the disease. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so just... in that sense, in that sense, Bernadette and Amy, that's different from if um, your spouse had a physical disease such as cancer or diabetes. It's different in that sense, isn't it? I think it can be because the way that this this type of illness presents um, is such an emotional factor. Yes. Um, and and so can so heavily influence the emotions of the people around. Um, and and so sometimes for your own mental health, you just can't stay in that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the role of caregivers and you know what role they play in the treatment of their partner's depression. Okay, one of, uh, if you're talking about dealing with the day-to-day treatment, you have the fact that you can make certain that uh, your depressed loved one is taking their medicine as directed. Sometimes uh, a depressed individual will want to skip a medication or feel that, oh, it's not making me feel any better. And a lot of depression medication takes a while to kick in. And you need to help the depressed person realize that that is true and to support them in writing it out until the right form of medication is found. And, and, and another thing that caregivers can help with is keeping track of how well medication might be working, how well therapy techniques might be working, or how well they're not working, um, along with different side effects that may be an issue. Many times the person who is depressed does not have a good perspective on those things. They're so inwardly focused, they really can't see what, what the truth is of, of what they're experiencing. So it takes an outside person to take a look at it and say, this is what I observe in you today versus two weeks ago. And, and that can be a real help. And you certainly have to be an advocate because sometimes uh, a doctor who's treating the depressed person or a social worker might not want to hear from the family, but you might have to become that person's advocate by stepping in and saying, this is what I observe, this is what's going on, I think it's important that you know this. Hmm. What, where were the breakthroughs in each of your situations? Um, for my husband, he had tried many, many different medications over a period of about a decade, and it wasn't until a new, one particular new family of medications became available that we started to see a turnaround. At about the same time, he found a therapist who seemed to um, have a lot of good suggestions for him that he'd not seen in the past. And then the third leg of that stool, you might say, was that he discovered that um, exercise was really critical for his well-being. So we put all those three together at about the same time and finally um, saw some changes. How long did that take? It was 10 to 12 years. Long time. Yep. Steadily, steadily working on these things. Um, you know, that's a good question because at times we just got worn out, and there would be periods of maybe uh, you know a month or two where we just said, okay. 
I'm too tired to deal with this. You're just going to have to be the way you are for a little while because yeah. you can't do any more just now. So it was kind of a, an up-and-down experience. But what you're saying is in terms of seeing long-term change that stayed, mm-hmm. it took years. It did. It did. And did you see uh, progression a lot, or was it, as you said, kind of back and forth? It truly was back and forth. Um, it really wasn't until that those, those that trifecta of, of marvelous things happened yeah. all at about the same time that we really saw true improvement over but, those years. Bernadette, what about your situation? Well, I would say that um, my situation was very similar to Amy and Bruce's as far as uh, Ed was seeing a therapist, that wasn't working. He was going to a doctor that was prescribing medicine, that wasn't working. We'd try a a different medicine. And it was after several years that finally everything kind of clicked together. The medicine combination was right. The the therapy, the things that he learned in that kicked in, just the whole picture. It was good that it happened. But one of the things that we're experiencing uh, and that can happen with this illness is that we go back and forth. Ed will be on a very fine level, feeling very, very good, and then all of a sudden plunge. And then we have to look at the medication again and do a different type of combination. So it, it's a disease that can be controlled but perhaps never really 100% cured. Mm-hmm. Are there triggers that you stay away from, or things that you things that you? It, it, I guess here, let me let me give you an example. It would be like, you know, if I said to you, "Well, let's stay away from sugar because you might get down," or "Let's mm-hmm. stay away from eating high fat foods." Are there things that you watch or situations you watch to stay away from that might be triggers? I would say that there are things that we can't really stay away from but that we know are triggers because it's basically just life. <laughs> it's okay. a trigger. And so what the kind of the approach we take is just being extra aware during times of a special stress, um, during uh, the holidays. December is kind of tricky. Um, the winter months are, are difficult because it's so dark all the time. Um, so we're just more aware during those times. Or if there's just a whole lot going on with the family and, and too many things worrying us, those are times that we kind of check in a little bit more and say, how are you feeling? Are you doing yeah. okay? Um, and, and adjust. And uh, Ed you. oftentimes will say that, um, no, there isn't anything that happened, no trigger there or whatever. It's just he's very aware that all of a sudden this dark cloud, this heaviness descends on him, mm. and there's nothing he can do to stop it. So, yes, you can have the triggers, but also I think sometimes triggers just aren't there. What about work? Did this affect both of your husband's work? Well, we have two different stories. Um, My husband, Bruce, was for the most part unable to work for those 10 to 12 years. He had a few little periods where he did some work occasionally, but he was not able to be um, reliable about it. Um, And so he was unemployed basically for all of that period of time because he just could not function as a a regular adult would do. Hmm. And Ed, on the other hand, he uh, slept until he had to get up to go to work, went off to work, was, you know, performed the job and everything, came home, uh, could be grumpy, take things out on the kids and on me, and then go back to sleep and get ready until the next day. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, a totally different manifestation of depression. So what did you both 
find to be your greatest sources of strength when you were caregivers and going through this? Uh, for me, um, I certainly had a community around me that was very supportive. I had friends at church. I had family members. Um, but I think uh, the thing that helped me the most was just retreating into the role that gave me the most sustenance and affirmation at that time, which was um, being a mother to our three children. And truly, I think that's what brought me through it and got me out on the other side. Yeah, I'd, I'd pretty much have to say that for me. If it hadn't been for our kids being around to to motivate me and keep me uh, uh, directed toward their health and well-being, that I probably would have had a much more difficult time dealing with Ed's depression. Mm-hmm. What tips do each of you have from your book for our listeners about dealing with a spouse or a loved one who's depressed? One thing that we strongly suggest is finding time away. And we know that in a time when your loved one is depressed, it's very hard to find that time because you feel like you have to be totally focused on them all the time or you may be afraid to leave them alone sometimes because suicide may be in the picture. But even during those really, really difficult times, you just have to get away and be with healthy people. So we recommend that people find ways to do that, whether it's accepting a babysitter to come in or someone to sit with your depressed loved one and just hang out for a while so you can just get out, whether it's even just as little as locking yourself in the bathroom for half an hour in the evening and eating a Snickers bar on the fly, whatever it might be, reading a book, watching a movie, um, just a little bit of escape can be a very healthy thing. Mm, very good. What about, what about getting your loved one out in nature? Does that help for some people? Oh, for some people it does. It depends on how much they love nature, I guess, would be a good way of putting it. You know, if they draw uh, sustenance from that. Uh, but sometimes, just because of the inward nature of depression, they don't want to do anything. Mm. So for yourself, if you gain strength from nature, then you need to get out there and doing things. You can invite them along. You can do everything in your power to say, hey, you know, a beautiful day out. Let's go for a walk. But if they don't want to, you do it. Yeah, because that's important for you. Yeah, there's only so much you can do to get a depressed person out of the house. But on the whole, if you can get them out of the house, that is always a good thing because what they tend to do is just sit and stew, quite honestly, and, and get forcing them <laughs> as much as you can because you just can't always. But encouraging them to get out and to, to do something, anything, um, can be a, a really healthy thing to do. Okay. We have a few minutes left, and I know you have some comforting meditations in your book, is there one that one of you could grab and read to us? Why, sure. I have a book right here. Um, let's see. This, this one is, touches on a subject that we haven't talked much about, but the fact that um, suicide is sadly a, a natural outcome of depression because it just happens. Um, just as people die of cancer, people do die of depression. So this one starts with a quote by Louisa May Alcott. Far away there in the sunshine are my highest aspirations. I may not reach them, but I can look up and see their beauty and believe in them and try to follow where they lead. One of the things that occurs with depression is the growth of feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. Sometimes the despair is so great that thought of ending one's life are ever present. Mm. When someone we love has these thoughts, we feel helpless and we question what we could do to make it better. 
We want our loved one to see that there is much to live for and to do in life. Sadly, the person we love can't always reach the sunshine, can't see the beauty in and even ends the relationship we have with them, or at worst, ends life itself. And we have to remember that in those times that depression is an illness. And as with any illness, sometimes it takes a long time for people to get better. Sometimes they do not get better. Divorce or estrangement and sometimes suicide result. Our higher power asks us to remember that there is always beauty in life, no matter what the outcome of this illness, that that person still had many good, beautiful moments in life, and no matter the darkness, we can celebrate joy and beauty and look to the sunshine. That's beautiful, and that's an excerpt from your book. It is. All right. Um, give Give us a practical tool that's in your book for our listeners. Well, um, one practical tool is sometimes you yourself as caregiver can start to feel sorry for yourself. And one of the things we suggest is using a rubber band or something around your wrist to just every once in a while wake yourself up when you start to get into that stinking thinking where, oh, this isn't going to get any better, I don't know what I'm going to do, and, and stuff like that. Because it's important for us to just stop it rather than continuing along those lines of thinking. And if something like uh, a rubber band snap or something is going to help, then that's what we need to take advantage of. What's your feeling about people who are listening to this and say, what I really need is a few days away on my own, but I feel guilty leading my loved one? What would you say about that? We do talk about guilt in the book, and that so many of us are programmed to feel guilty if we can't make everything perfect in everyone's life around us. And it's just so, so, so important to let go of that guilt and realize that we have to take care of ourselves or we're not going to be able to take care of that person anymore, and then we'll have even more guilt. So we use the analogy that you so often hear that we have to put that oxygen mask on ourselves before we put it on the passenger next to us when the plane crashes. Um, Don't feel guilty if you need time for yourself, because we all do, and that's the healthiest way to take care of yourself and your depressed loved one. All right. Uh, tell us some resources. I know you have resources in your book for for folks. We do. Um, the Mayo Clinic website, um, you can just Google Mayo Clinic, has really excellent information on depression, as does um, the National Institutes for Mental Health. A really good support organization for those who live with people with mental illness would be NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. They, uh, On their website, they have uh, various support groups that may be close enough to you to, to take advantage of, but they also have lots of good information. So those are some, some resources that we recommend. All right. And how can people find your book? Uh, they can find it on Amazon. They can find it in local bookstores. They can get an electronic version by going to the website of the book, Dancing in the Dark, and um, it's just available everywhere. <laughs> Another thing we have on the Central Recovery Press website, which is our publishing company, if you click on Dancing in the Dark, we keep an, an active blog that gives people more up-to-date information and just insight into, into what they might be able to do to help themselves during this kind of a time. Okay. And before we close, why the title Dancing in the Dark? Well, because depression is something that just weighs very, very heavily on a person, on a household, on a relationship. And we talk about dancing in the dark because the only way you are going to survive this dark time is if you're able to take care of yourself, Mm -hmm. to separate yourself when necessary, and that you can dance and laugh at certain things that happen. Just let it go and dance in the dark. Mm 
Thank you both so much for being on the program again. Uh, give us your website, please. Uh, the website is Central Recovery Press backslash Dancing in the Dark. Dot com. Central Recovery Press. So they have many books on these kinds of subjects. They do. Right, they, they do. do. Okay. Central Recovery Press slash Dancing in the Dark. Um, I want to thank you both very much for being on the program. It was really a pleasure to have you both on. Well, thank you, Patricia. Thank you for giving us the chance to share this information with people who need it. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, stay on the line. My guests today have been Bernadette Stanker and Amy Veets, and they are co-authors of this book, Dancing in the Dark, How to Take Care of Yourself When Someone You Love is Depressed. So uh, really, it's a great resource for you, so do look it up. You can go to Center Recovery Press, black backslash Dancing in the Dark. Again, thank you, Amy and Bernadette. All right. Okay. Remember, folks, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin, right here on voiceamerica.com for Patricia Raskin Positive Living. Talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.